Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today's podcast is a session from the Austin stop of the Future of Field Service live tour. It features Sasha Ilyukin, who is the Senior Vice President of Customer Service Operations at Tetra Pak. And we are talking about the need for more human centricity in service. Sasha talks about how he came to recognize as a leader that he and Tetra Pak needed to focus more on human centricity and also how uh, he's doing so and the company is doing so. Some of the initiatives that they have underway to put more focus on their um, people and their people's experiences as uh, part of Tetra Pak and part of delivering service to Tetra Pak customers. I hope you enjoy. So we're going to talk about prioritizing human centricity. Yes. Uh, I'm really excited for this session. I think it's a very important topic. Um, and uh, before we get into that, though, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your role, Tetrapack's business, and sort of the scope of what you are responsible for. Okay. So, and, and before I even get into that, I mm -hmm. wanted to thank you so much for bringing this, uh, bringing up this topic because I think it's so important. Um, uh, it it's rarely gets brought up in in these conferences uh, for field service uh, or you know any any of these sort of digital transformation uh, conferences, etc. And I think it's extremely important because. Um, you know, all of us uh, are, are probably struggling in one way or another with human centricity, putting the, the humans first uh, before the business. So thank you very, very much for bringing up the incredible topic. So a few words about me. Um, uh, I have a background in food science and food engineering. Uh, I have my master's degree from Purdue University. Um, I joined Tetra Pak 21 plus years ago. Uh, in field service, so I was with a toolbox in hand and traveling around fixing stuff, uh, and then uh, had a bunch of leadership jobs uh, here in the States, in Europe, uh, and now back to the States. So now I run our service operations uh, business in America, so North Central South America. Um, Tetra Pak, uh, for those that may not be familiar with us, uh, we are big in, in food and beverage. Uh, we're a privately owned company, almost 70 years old, and uh, we make equipment uh, to make food. Uh, we uh, make packaging material that runs on that equipment, and then we have service business that sort of wraps around the equipment and, and the pack packaging material that we have. So I work for the service uh, end of the business. Excellent. I think um, we talked about this a bit at uh, our Frankfurt event. Um, so if any of you are not aware, um, this is the last in a series of live tour events that we've done. Um, and so uh, what we talked about is the fact that I think uh, we're in a bit of a reckoning mm -hmm. right now related to this topic because when I, so when I started in this space, all of the, the conversations centered around cost cutting, cost cutting, cost cutting, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not saying that that's still not an important thing to, to keep track of, but obviously, uh, you know, there was a shift of perceiving service as a profit center versus a cost center, and mm -hmm. then following that became a hyper focus on the customer experience, which mm -hmm. makes sense, right? So, you know, how do our customers feel about us, and 
um, what's their experience, what's their impression, what's their satisfaction level, et cetera. And while we were so hyper-focused on that, I think we kind of overlooked mm -hmm. the connection of employee engagement and employee experience to an extent um, and the direct impact that that has on our customer satisfaction mm -hmm. objectives. So now I feel like we're kind of almost taking a step back as, mm -hmm. a, you know, I'm generalizing as an industry and saying, okay, so customer satisfaction is still incredibly important. Mm -hmm. But now we realize that for us to have the, the biggest impact there we can, we need to take into account how do our employees feel mm -hmm. um, in a variety of different ways, right? Which is, is what we're gonna talk about today. So I agree it's a topic that um, isn't talked about enough, but I have a feeling it's going to be more and more so. Um, because it's just something that people have to kind of dig back into and address. Um, so let's start uh, by talking a bit about company culture. Mm -hmm. um, because I think it's a very important part of this, uh, but something that can be really hard to kind of bolt down mm -hmm. uh, because no one's going to say we, we don't have a great company culture, right? <laughs> Everyone's going to kind of check that box. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you describe Tetra Pak's culture and how are you taking that and working on, you know, reinforcing it or representing it in the, the service organization? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, that's, that's, culture is extremely important, right? And uh, as, as we all know, Peter Drucker said once, you know, that culture is strategy for lunch. Um, we, we have a decent start at Tetra Pak because we come with, from a Swedish heritage. So we have a lot of Swedish culture um, ingrained in the company. And, and um, Swedish culture is sort of high work ethic, but also very, very high focus on family, on sort of wellness and, and kind of the balancing the time, right? Um, so, so it's American with that flavor of, uh, of family time. Mm -hmm. And it's very typical um, uh, for us to see, like when, when we go to Sweden, you know, it's almost like you see the bats here uh, at sunset. You would see employees there at 5 p.m. Okay, mm -hmm. so at 5 p.m. at Tetra Pak, the doors open and just everyone floods out. Um, now it doesn't mean that people don't connect later and so on, sure. but but uh, it's still it's very important to to have that balance. So so that's a good start. I mean, we don't pretend that that we know. Um, how to um, how to really um, you know run the best company in terms of uh, human centricity, but but we try our best. Um, we have a brand promise that focuses on food, people, and planet, mm -hmm. and so people is is really one of the three big legs that we say, okay, we, we as a company we want to protect food, protect people, and uh, protect the planet. So so that's kind of the starting point. Now. Um, when we look at how the culture is transforming, um, I just came across recently there was an article in, by BCG Henderson. Uh, it was called Beautiful Management, actually shared on LinkedIn. And I thought it was a brilliant article in a sense that, you know, where the industry is changing uh, from sort of the, the standard Fred Taylor's scientific management, where we look at KPIs, balance scorecards, and, and how we do uh, to how do we drive empathy, how do we drive uh, engagement, right? How do we um, drive innovation related to that, right? Um, and uh, uh, Max uh, talked about entrepreneurs, you know, how do we drive that 
entrepreneurial spirit within the company uh, to drive innovation? Uh, how do we drive that you know, people collaborate to each other and, and sort of drive change in the business? And that links, so to make it a full circle, that links to business resilience. Mm -hmm. Because business, I'll make, it a, I'll make a, uh, a case here that business resilience, you cannot achieve that without actually focusing and achieving uh, human centricity. So your business will never be resilient because at the end of the day, it's a service business uh, that, that I run and service business is all about people. So it's people talking to other people. That's what I tell my leadership team as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I tell them that you know we're not Tetra Pak working with Coca-Cola. Uh, we're Sarah working with Sasha, mm -hmm. uh, or we're Mike you know, working with, with Fred and so on and so forth. So it's, it's all about people interactions. We need to keep our people happy in order for our customers to be happy. Mm -hmm. So when did your um, current focus of prioritizing and sort of reviewing, focusing on human centricity kick in and why? So what are some of the, the catalysts? So we, we ran like a normal company uh, for a while and uh, we started to realize that all of a sudden um, we, we have, for example, our turnover rates uh, are becoming higher, okay? So we're, we're losing something uh, in our company. We're, 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 we're losing um, somehow the, the attractiveness uh, for the people because all of us, I mean, it's still, our turnover is still in, in single digits, but it doubled mm -hmm. in the past uh, three, four years. Um, so that was kind of a wake-up call for us. And, and we're like, okay, we need to do something different uh, and not just continue to be a, a normal, above-average company. We need to do something special here to, to retain people, to attract uh, attract talent. Yeah, That was the wake-up call. And I commend you for that, because I think a lot of people could look at that doubling mm -hmm. and just say, well, it's because of the pandemic and the surrounding sure. issues, right? And sort of almost take a defeatist uh, stance mm -hmm. of, um, well, it is what it is, so you know, what are we, what are we going to do about it? And instead, you're mm -hmm. taking a more proactive approach of, okay, so these are the facts, and mm -hmm. regardless of, you know, what external factors are weighing in, we mm -hmm. need to sort out how to how to do better. Um, so let's talk about the fact that, you know, this isn't a concept. I think one of the reasons you said at the beginning, this doesn't get talked about a lot. I think one of the reasons for that is that people view it as sort of this, you know, woo-woo, touchy-feely, oh, human centricity type thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really not the case. I mean, it is proven that companies that have better employee engagement and employee satisfaction mm -hmm. have better mm -hmm. results, right? And so um, what are your thoughts on you know, how you balance this focus, because I know you as a leader genuinely care, mm -hmm. but also with the realities of how it will help the business. I, I think it's well proven, to, to your point, and it's proven uh, with actually a peer-reviewed research. So I, I came across, there's a research uh, by Brown and Lamb in, in 2008, um, which is quoted everywhere, but that research established a very, very strong correlation between employee engagement and customer satisfaction. Um, so there's a, there's a direct correlation, uh, unquestionable. What, what's interesting in that research is that there is no correlation backwards. Mm -hmm. So you can have very satisfied customers, but 
very disengaged employees. And that I find very, very interesting because you know you can you can drive customer satisfaction in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. I mean with price promotions, with supply chain, you know, service levels, whatnot. But um, but our focus uh, is how do we keep our people engaged? I want my team to be happy with the jobs that they do. And I actually, I don't mind if people actually leave the company because they're not happy. Um, so they, you know, if they want to go and do something different, we had a, a, a couple of people, you know, one left to study, another left to run a, a, a personal business, a family business, which is great. I mean, if, if that's what their calling is, I don't want them to stay. Uh, I want them to do what, what they want to do. Um, it also comes back to the types of leaders that we have. Uh, because that was actually another interesting piece in that research. They had something that they, they called moderating variable. So what is the, the highest uh, moderating variable in that ES to CX relationship? And um, the moderating variable was supervisory support. Mm -hmm. So it's one-on-ones. It's, uh, it's having um, uh, basically good leaders. Um, so, so what we're doing there is um, we have a, a, a mandate in my team. So like on, on every person that we hire, Max talked about character. Mm -hmm. Character, I, I totally agree, 100% is extremely important. Every single service tech or service engineer that we hire, I have the director for that unit sitting on that final interview. That's mm -hmm. mandatory. We don't proceed forward if that doesn't happen. I sit on every single interview for every leadership job in my team. Okay, so all the service delivery manager, I don't care what that level is and of the leadership, every single leadership job, I, I sit on the, on the interview and I'll make time for it. Um, also, we do the same for exit interviews. So we want to make sure if someone's leaving, we want to make sure to understand why they're leaving because that's a good learning for us. We can put some actions in place to say, okay, maybe we missed it in this case and let's do it better, uh, let's do it better next time. So, so these are some of the actions that we're taking. Yeah. Um, to, um, um, yeah, to try to, to uh, drive that engagement. I think it's a really good point because oftentimes when um, senior leaders decide to put a focus on human centricity, company culture, employee engagement, any of these types of things, um, they you know, rightfully want to understand how the frontline employees feel mm -hmm. and, and how they can improve that. But sometimes the middle management layer gets overlooked and uh, to the detriment of, of the mission, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can be very committed to wanting to improve that frontline experience, mm -hmm. but if you have middle management that is disengaged, you know, unsatisfied themselves, or not competent mm -hmm. in the ways that you need to deliver the experience you're intending, um, you know, that, that mission is sort of for naught. So I think it's a really uh, key point that you're focusing efforts mm -hmm. there as well. Um, all right, so how have you prioritized which areas to focus on? So when we started to, uh, when we started to go sort of beyond the, what, I called, what, what I would call a, a normal company, okay, or, or wanting to be just a, a, yeah, a normal standard company out there with you know, benefits and medical and dental and all this other stuff, we, we started to look at, you know, we, of course, we, we had some consultants helping us. Um, and we started to look at things like uh, we've implemented, for example, um, uh, you know, parental leave, for example, for both parents, right, mm -hmm. including adoptive parents. We implemented flex hours. 
and we wanted to implement flex hours for the field service as well. So because typically if you implement flex hours in the office, then the field service people start to complain like, yeah, these guys in the office, I mean, they, they get to do whatever, you know, everything, yeah. I mean. Uh, now, and, can I interject yeah. and ask yeah. how you did that? Yeah. So, Like what that yeah. looks like, because I think it would be good for people to hear a real example, because this is an area, just as an example, that comes up when you start talking about mm -hmm. employee engagement and mm -hmm. human centricity in field service specifically, you run into a lot of people that say, well, that's just not possible because of the nature of the operations or the work. Right. And we need to get creative in looking for solutions. That's, that's exactly the point. So. Um, so what we've done is we looked at the types of contracts that we have, and luckily a lot of the uh, service contracts that we have um, actually have you know people at customer sites for a fairly prolonged period of time, right? Whether that's installation or doing services or doing production support and so on. So we're not the type of business where our service tech would come for a couple of uh, hours and, and just leave, right? So so we're typically there for for longer time. So we started to promote these kind of flexible contracts, uh, meaning that you agree with your customer how you want to, uh, to support their operation. Um, and I don't really care if you come morning, evening, uh, weekend, no weekend. I mean, they, the, the service techs actually plan it themselves. Mm -hmm. okay? We don't even look at that. I mean, we, we just leave it uh, for them and their customers to kind of figure this out. Um, then we look, looked at, also travel, travel is a, is a big thing in, in service. And I think it's the, it's the highest waste. Um, we're also, I mentioned we're driving, we're big in sustainability of, of service as well. And that's a whole different big topic to cover. But uh, travel is one of the biggest offenders in sustainability, meaning CO2 profile and so on. Uh, but travel is also the biggest waste of time. And our customers need to pay for that. Uh, they don't like to pay for that. So, so then it becomes of like, how do we minimize travel? And we minimize travel by proactively relocating people, by establishing regional hubs. Um, so we, we continuously analyze like where the jobs are and we put the, the techs with the right uh, capability there mm -hmm. in, that, in that area. Um, we proactively relocate them. We pay for that relocation. Um, and we, we find ways basically to bring people to specific areas where the travel is very, very minimal. Then they can plan their own time, mm -hmm. okay? So that gives them flexibility. So it just takes a little bit of that type of creativity, but it takes a lot of effort. I mean, it's, it's kind of simple to explain, but I mean, if you look at, you know, I have 542 um, service engineers it's complicated, I mean, in terms of like, how do we plan all of that, right? Um, but um, but when, when we put the effort there, uh, it actually pays off quite a bit. And yeah. customers appreciate that as well because I, I've heard from a lot of my customers like, hey, I don't have to pay for travel anymore, it's perfect, so. Okay, all right, so I, I interrupted you, but we were talking about areas of focus, yeah. flexibility, and then, okay. Okay, so, so then other, um, diversity inclusion, mm -hmm. uh, a big thing, okay? Um, so we, we now um, started also a big program, we call it Speak Up for Inclusion. Um, I have a problem in, in my team, and, and the problem is, um, is actually male-female, okay, distribution. So like in my leadership team, it's 45-55, so I have 45%, uh, female, 55% male. One level below that, 
it's 82-18. So I have 82 male, 18 female, okay? One level below that, I have almost 96-4. So 96% male, 4% female. Mm -hmm. Huge problem, okay? Uh, it's a huge problem because when the teens are not diverse, um, and even in that sense, it just becomes, you know, a very sort of alpha male type of culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, it be, you know we there's there's it's more difficult to drive things like empathy. Mm -hmm. It's more difficult to drive things like innovation. Uh, so we see it firsthand that the teams that are more diverse, we see much more um, much more engagement, significantly higher levels of engagement. And you know we we're putting a lot of effort to actually build that pipeline, but mm -hmm. it's difficult in field mm -hmm. service. It's extremely extremely difficult. Yeah. So so that's another uh, another big area. Then um, mental wellness also. Right before COVID, I don't know who had that idea, but but this was a corporate program. Uh, but right before COVID, we started with this program that's called "It's Okay Not to Be Okay." Mm -hmm. And uh, it actually, uh, you know, first it was seen as a kind of a formality, okay, like every company has a, some sort of a mental wellness hotline and whatnot, but um, we didn't believe when we looked at the statistics of that and the types of help that people were getting and, and we just realized, wow, I mean, that, that's extremely important as well. And uh, meditation, Max mentioned meditation. Um, we also have things like um, these sort of what, they, what we call detox videos. It's, it's an interesting practice that was introduced to us by Ariana Huffington. Mm -hmm. She spoke at one of our events. And it's, it's a two minute video that, I mean, all of the, these Gen Zs and Gen Xs, I mean, they can create it in like five minutes. Uh, and you just put together like a bunch of pictures of things that you really like. Um, so maybe your family or you know, places that you like and so on. You put it against the music background that you really like, mm -hmm. and you make it like two minutes long, okay? And when you're stressed out, um, or you have like you know three, four meetings in a row, and then you just need to kind of relax, uh, or in field service, when you're in a tough job, the customer is just you know on you all the time. Step out, take you know five minutes, uh, and look at that video. Uh, breathe in, meditate. It helps a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that we put together. Uh, safety. Safety also is, is another big priority for us. And um, we operate in the cultures sometimes where, and I'm not talking necessarily US, but when, like, when I visited Guatemala, man, I mean, the, the, the type of things that I saw there, I mean, in terms of, uh, in terms of safety, uh, you wouldn't believe, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, people are running, you know, completely unsafe production and with, you know, open machinery, all kinds of bypass safety, et cetera. And our field service um, engineers were always complaining to us, like, what can we do? Right. How can we influence this? So we told them, like, we, we said, uh, I mean, beyond the normal stuff, like take two minutes for safety and so on, we said, we said you don't have to work like this. So, so please you know, stop and demand that the, the conditions, and then we'll, you know, raise it up, escalate it to your leadership. We'll make sure that the conditions are safe. And actually, slowly but surely, things, things are starting to change, which is, which is encouraging. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
All right, so, so let's dig into a couple of these in mm -hmm. a little bit more detail. So when we think about um, engagement uh, and, and really recognition, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I know you have a firsthand perspective because you were a, a technician at one mm -hmm. point yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you're doing related to making sure that those employees feel valued and recognized and that sort of thing? So I'll start with, with recognition is the, the best is what we find is when it comes from peers, customers, uh, from the line manager, okay? So, um, so it's people-to-people -people recognition. Mm -hmm. We, of course, I mean, we have formal programs like, you know, we have on-the-spot awards, we have annual awards. We actually have a very nice program that we put in place called Field Service Excellence Award. And, and what that is, is, is that we select a bunch of people from every region. So we have 12 people participating in that. We send them to our headquarters um, every year. And then one of these teams wins a trophy. And that trophy is like a mobile trophy. So it comes in its own suitcase. And the commitment that we take is that this trophy then travels around all of the regional offices that we have and people get to actually speak to their peers, to their friends. They can actually take it home. We don't mind. I mean, they can take all kinds of you know selfies with it um, and promote it. Like, do whatever you want. I mean, the, and it's it's a fairly sizable. It's a big trophy. We get to keep it for almost a year, and then we have to send it back. Mm -hmm. So, so when one region wins, it's a big thing uh, for us. So, so recognition is is very important. The other uh, type of there's like non-standard recognition. So continuous education and learning mm -hmm. is, you know, people don't see that as recognition, but it's, I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's one of the instruments that, you know, uh, that we can, we can recognize people with, mm -hmm. okay? And then uh, just giving them access uh, and opportunity to get another degree, to learn, um, so we started with uh, things like LinkedIn Learning, with um, EdCast, and so that's actually also an interesting, interesting learning right there. Um, when, when we sort of opened up these programs uh, to our employees, um, we saw the, the engagement going up uh, very quickly, and then it just sort of tapered off uh, because people get uh, exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you, you're all familiar with like LinkedIn Learning, I mean, you go there, and it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I mean, it's it, where do I go? There's like, you know, for every keyword, there's 1.5 million trainings. So what, what we decided to do is we decided to curate. And uh, we decided to put together um, these, what we call learning journeys. And um, in the learning journeys, we curate basically for specific jobs, specific positions that we have in the company. And so if I'm, um, a service engineer and I want to be a project manager, there's a learning journey for me. I can go on my own uh, pace and I can basically uh, do that. And it's not, not only LinkedIn learning, but it's also, um, uh, you know, I get a chance to maybe spend a, some time with a, a project manager. Mm -hmm. I get more engaged with installations and projects all of a sudden. Um, so I get to like practically do things that I want to do in the future and, and get a feel for it. And we don't mind if they try it and they don't like it. Um, and they say, well, that's probably not something for me. That's actually the best kind of thing that, that we, you know. So instead of putting them in that position and hoping that this is going to work, I mean, we can kind of try it in, you know, in, this, um, uh, in this coaching mode and see if that works. And if it doesn't, they can go back to the, to the field and do what they, what they want to do. 
Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times when we talk about human centricity, people kind of separate it from digital transformation and technology, mm -hmm. right? But but really, technology can play a big role in mm -hmm. human centricity mm -hmm. because if you think about the fact that, you know, it's either helping mm -hmm. or it's typically a point of dissatisfaction, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's rarely somewhere in between. Yep. Um, so how how does technology factor into your overall strategy? You know, we all learned the hard way during COVID. Um, and you can get really exhausted with technology. Zoom and WebEx and, and Teams and whatnot, I mean, you can get really exhausted with that. But um, um, it, it comes down, I think, to employee experience. So we see technology as uh, how do we enhance the employee experience? And um, we, when we implement different types of apps, uh, so we have apps for field service, IFS, right? I mean, we have um, apps for safety, we have apps for learning, et cetera, et cetera. When we, when we look at that, we, we look at, does it really enhance the employee experience? You know, does it make their life easier? Uh, or is it just another thing that we're implementing? And I, I have a, a case here, I have a story where, you know, on the HR side, uh, we had a case where we almost ended up with two apps for reporting hours. And that was not a good thing, okay? But it was because, you know, one part of it comes from uh, invoicing for customers, another part of it comes from sort of internal processing hours, etc. And we stopped that. Okay, so we stopped that. We said, no, 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 we can't do that. Yeah, it's, it's convenient, it works nice, it fits with our systems, it integrates, but we can't do it like that. So, um, um, so this is one of the examples where uh, we really need to curate uh, technology as well. But technology certainly helps. I mean, it certainly helps. And yeah. EdCast, well, I mentioned EdCast for these uh, personal journeys uh, where we have these go-dos uh, and people can uh, look at it from, you know, we. We have this 70-20-10 principle, right? So 10% formal learning, 20% coaching, 70% on the job. In the classical, in the olden days, it used to be like you take the training, 10%, and then that's it. You go on the job, you do your 70%. However you do it, it's kind of your thing, okay? Um, we, we want to make sure that people are actually uh, going through that journey at their own pace. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest learnings for us as the team, as the company, and one of the biggest learnings for me is one person can get a skill very quickly, another person, it takes them a little bit longer time, and again, we don't mind, okay? So, so they take the learning, they go into the coaching mode, and in the coaching mode, they may realize, well, I, I don't know this as well as I should, so they go back to learning, they retake it again, go back again into the coaching mode, and that's, these are the types of nonlinear learning journeys that we want to promote. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a good recognition as well because we give them the time to right. do this. We, we recognize that they need to take that time to learn. Yeah. No, I think it's important to, to think about the impact of technology because if you put yourself in the shoes of the field technician, one of the things that's going to make them 
you know, automatically unhappy in their job is to arrive to, to do what they need to do and not have the information they need, the mm -hmm. help they need, uh, you know, and so, or to have, you know, some um, technology that is incredibly cumbersome and distracts them from the work they're there to do. So it does, I think, have uh, an important um, correlation. I think the other thing is, you know, uh, I know Tetra Pak is in the midst of, of sort of a service transformation. Mm -hmm. So focusing on human centricity in parallel or even in advance of makes change management a bit easier rather than, you know, what companies often do is dig into change management as mm -hmm. a result of that transformation, mm -hmm. then find themselves in a human centricity conundrum, mm -hmm. right? Because they start to uncover some of, of the issues. So. Um, if you're being more proactive about it, you know, it can make whatever change you encounter, whether it's technology related or otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, a bit easier because you have some of that foundation. Um, so what has the feedback been from your teams so far? You know, have you heard any gratitude? Has there been any skepticism? Mm -hmm. What have you experienced? We've heard all kinds of things, uh, and it's it's uh, you, you know you can't make uh, everyone happy, right? Uh, but we want to make uh, make their life as easy as possible, and you know make sure that that you know our team is is engaged. Um, I just talked here this morning, um, uh, just just over coffee, uh, about returning to the office, right? Mm -hmm. So so we now have this program of returning to the office. We did the survey, and the team split exactly 50-50. It's not even 49-51. It's 50-50. So some people uh, are ready and eager to come back. Some people are not. So we have to accommodate uh, for you know all of these needs and, and kind of find these interesting compromises with flex time and, and so on and so forth. Same goes for the for the field service. What I would say is, is formal programs uh, result in kind of formal response, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it all comes down again to the, to the leaders, to the types of leaders that we have, what they do. They need to um, be in the, in the field, be with their people. I mean, I'm doing a lot of um, you know, traveling, just visiting with customers and, and service engineers. We have road shows coming up. I will be in every single road show there. I think it's important. It's important to listen, mm -hmm. and it's important to act uh, on what we hear uh, from from the field and, and how to make uh, the life easier for, for our uh, service engineers. So um, again, comes back to listening to to empathy as mm -hmm. well. Uh, there is uh, there is uh, research that I've seen that uh, people are ready. Eighty percent of people would switch jobs. Uh, if their company, if they don't feel uh, empathy from their leader, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and when, when it comes to uh, Gen X, it's more like 90 plus percent would switch jobs. They don't care about the pay, they don't care about the benefits, they want relationship, yeah. okay? And that, that's, that I think is, is the key to it all. Yeah, and we were, uh, Sasha and I were, were talking with a group of other folks on uh, a virtual focus group that we had on this topic and that point came up about the balance between process mm -hmm. and formal programs, which are important, right? You need to set some structure and you need to be thinking about how to 
scale certain things that are working, et cetera, but also personal touch, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think if you're focused, if a company wants to improve human centricity by only focusing on the formal process, mm -hmm. you're really lacking a super important piece of the puzzle. Um, so, so I think that's a really good point. I also think it's a good point about you, you know, you said you need to always be listening. And I think that's the other thing is that this isn't a focus that, you know, you dig into, you make improvements, and then mm -hmm. you move on, mm -hmm. okay? It's something that needs to just become a course of continual improvement and adjustment, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, that's where I think the process is helpful is the process of engaging and listening mm -hmm. so that you have that insight into okay, how are people feeling? Mm -hmm. You know, what are they liking? What are they not liking? To your point, you cannot make everyone happy, but I think there's a lot of lift that comes from just being uh, authentically engaged mm -hmm. and being willing to listen, even if you cannot and will not address every piece of feedback, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's really important as well. Any... Um, insights or lessons learned since you started this that you think uh, those here today would benefit from hearing? So some of the lessons learned, I think Max told also about this is, is again, I, I come back to the, to the types of leaders that we hire and making sure that you don't have any sort of toxicity in the team, right? So, so when the person becomes disengaged, you better catch it early uh, before it actually happens. Um, and you know, either fix it or get rid of them. Um, if they if they become toxic, I mean, they talk to customers, they talk to peers, they talk to their families. It, it's not good. It's not good for them. Not good for the company. Not good for customers. So that's that's one thing that we're working really hard on, is to make sure that um, is that we you know we we have kind of engagement across across the team, right? Second is, you know, don't look at the averages, because we were so blinded by looking at average utilization, average overtime, average travel, um, and uh, when we sort of benchmarked all of that, it's like, no, everything is fine. And then, you know, when you look at an individual level, so all of a sudden that average 80% utilization becomes, you know, for someone is like 98%, so they're totally overworked and burning out. For another person is like 60% or 50%, and, and they're sitting at home some days, and probably also feeling bad because mm -hmm. they're like, why am I not needed? Why don't I know things that, that are required for, for the company? Over-communicating, so during COVID, we learned that skill very well. Um, I don't know how many one-on-ones, I had hundreds one-on-ones literally during COVID time. I didn't even, you know, I, I don't want to count them. Uh, but it's, it's important to uh, over-communicate. Um, it's important to also, anonymity, it's okay. Right, so when we have our uh, our events, our let's you know let's what we call let's talk, which are like town hall type events, uh, we use uh, uh, we use Slido and and we we actually say yeah anonymity is fine mm -hmm. because that's how you get the genuine feedback. Okay, we never filter anything. Okay, so it's like you know you can put your name there, you don't want to put your name there, that's okay, um, and and that's that's how we get the. The most feedback, and of course, you know, being out there in the field as well, and uh, it's it's you know, in, in in some ways, easy to just sit in the office and trying to be kind of the this mastermind, but it doesn't work. Okay, mm -hmm. so so being in the field, going doing the gimba uh, for those that are uh, in TPM as well, 
um, uh, Gogemba is a very, very nice principle there. Mm -hmm. Seeing something, um, seeing something firsthand. And I would say um, also driving personal accountability is, is very important. Uh, that is something that we are now as a company also transforming into. Um, uh, we, we are a, again, Swedish heritage, and Swedish heritage is very collaborative culture. So we used to, to have like everything is by consensus. So all the decisions are by consensus. So it's, we could discuss something to death, okay, until we get to consensus. So now it's like, no, we want to, uh, to drive quick decisions, okay? Um, you may disagree, but commit, okay? The, we do the Amazon thing. And, um, and, but we take personal accountability. So if, if you take a decision, you're accountable for it. Um, that I, that people actually find very rewarding, mm -hmm. because all of a sudden it's it's not like you know no it's 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 because of him or because of that etc. No, you take it, you run with it, and if you're successful, great. If you're not, we take it as a learning, learn from it, um, and do things better next time. Yeah. Um, what's next? What's next is what I just mentioned. I mean, we we have this this entire program. We call it Amplify, Simplify, Empower, and Adapt. Okay, so, so these are the, the simple behaviors that we want to actually add to our culture. A lot of it is around uh, empowerment, is, is like delegation, personal accountability, and so on and so forth. And a lot of that comes back then to resilience, business resilience, uh, and how do we become more adaptive as a business, more nimble, mm -hmm. uh, faster, we, we listen, we act as, as, as fast as we can. We just had a, a very nice presentation from um, a professor from IMD uh, School of Management. Uh, his name is Arturo Bris. And he, called, uh, he, he talked about uh, that the times are changing. So he called it the era of ignorance. And his point was that before, we all used to have like these, what we would call black swan events. So everything is normal and for like five years. And then all of a sudden comes the black swan, right? Uh, or what? You know, we would call it a tipping point uh, or disruptive innovation, and all of a sudden, you know, you need to be prepared for it, and so on. And he said, now uh, he calls it uh, heffalooms and woozles. So, so I, for those of you familiar with Winnie the Pooh, these were the fictional characters that came to Winnie the Pooh every night in his nightmares. And uh, he said, now is the time of heffalooms and woozles because they come to us every day. Mm -hmm. So we had COVID, and then after COVID, we, we have this terrible war with you know, Russia invading Ukraine, and now we have supply chain issues, and now we have monkeypox, and it's like every day you wake up and then there's a couple of other things, just add them, okay? So uh, the point is, we need to be resilient, nimble, move fast, take accountability, and all of that comes down to human centricity because we all rely on each other as a team, if we, if we don't have sort of good people around us, good engaged people around us, then the business is doomed. Yeah, I love that point because you're right. Resilience depends on connectedness, not just as a business, but as people, right? Yep. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the session with Sasha from the Austin stop of the Future of Field Service live tour. We will soon be announcing information on what the 2023 Future of Field Service live tour will look like. So 
be sure to stay tuned at www.futureoffieldservice.com for more. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter at The Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.